0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the first season of the American Opioid Podcast. If you just started listening, you'll want to go back and start with Episode 1. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. Marjorie arrived at the pharmacy again at 9 o'clock sharp for her refill. The pharmacist frowned when he looked up her patient record. Says here that you were supposed to have a follow-up appointment with the doctor who saw you during your ER visit? What happened? Oh, Marjorie said. Something came up. I'll need to reschedule that. Okay, he said. Make sure you do. You won't get another refill after this one unless the doctor fills out another prescription. As soon as she stepped out of the clinic, Marjorie took out her phone and scheduled the appointment. The following week, the doctor asked, How are you feeling right now? I can move around more, Marjorie replied, but I still need the medicine. The doctor removed her neck brace, then had a scan done. It looks like everything has more or less healed, he said, looking over the results. With his fingers, he lightly pressed down on different parts of her neck and shoulders. After a few seconds, she inhaled sharply. Ow, that hurts. He stopped, looked puzzled. Really? Yeah, she said. The doctor frowned. Do you need to work? Yes, and the medication has made that possible, Marjorie answered. Okay, he said. I'll write you another prescription. The neck brace will stay off, though, because otherwise your neck muscles will atrophy. Marjorie arrived at the hospital pharmacy at nine o'clock sharp, clutching her brand new prescription triumphantly. In the days that followed, she found herself absent-mindedly searching online for more clinics in South End. That weekend, she entered the doors of one such establishment. The doctor told her to use heating pads and to avoid craning her neck. She stalked out, muttering under her breath. An hour later, she entered another clinic. As she waited for her name to be called, she sensed that this place was different. The vibe was off, even by medical waiting room standards. People shifted restlessly, averted their gaze. It was as if they did not want to be seen by anyone they knew. The doctor wrote her a prescription within five minutes. She drove directly to a pharmacy that she had also looked up in a seedy part of town. Minutes later, she walked out with the small container in her hand shaking her head in disbelief at how easy it was. She got in her car and drove to a third clinic. When Marjorie arrived back home, she saw a fair-haired, round-faced boy on his porch across the trailer park. She walked over. "'How are you doing, Benny?' she asked. "'Where's your mom?' Benny was in the same spot so often That the residents called him the Trailer Park Lookout. He was up in everybody's business, simply because very little escaped his attention. I'm not talking to my mom, he replied, gazing up at her from his wheelchair. Why's that? Marjorie asked. She takes stuff from me, Benny said. Stuff I need. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Marjorie replied. What do you need? Benny's expression hardened. She said I'm not supposed to tell anyone. She says she's borrowing it. But she never gives it back. I hate her. Well, Marjorie said, I'm sure it'll all be worked out soon. She turned around to go, then stopped and turned her neck more than 90 degrees as she looked back over her shoulder. Smoothly, without a trace of discomfort. Your mom is in the house right now? Yeah, but I'm not going back in. She has to come here. Okay, Marjorie said. Take care, Benny. She walked back to her own trailer. Benny was adorable, but he always had problems with his mother. At home, Marjorie got out her phone, started searching for more clinics just in case she had missed any, then froze the advertisements appearing alongside the search results. What is going on? she whispered. She quickly closed the window, then decided to log on to social media. She scrolled through the recent postings of various acquaintances, a baby, a beach vacation, a graduation. Then she froze again. An advertisement like the ones she saw moments ago. She went to a random news site, scrolled through, and sure enough, the exact same advertisement. They were following her wherever she went. Do you need help? Our rehab clinics can be your road to recovery. Screw you, she said, then threw the phone across the room. It clattered on the kitchen floor. She reached into her purse and took out half a dozen containers of pills. The sight of them made her feel calmer. She ingested a pill, then carefully stowed the rest in a cupboard far out of Matt's reach. She would need to pick him up soon. Before heading out, she looked down at the neat row of Sybil's books. The book Matt was currently reading was opened on the floor and he was almost finished with it. On a whim, she picked up the next book in the series and stowed it in the cupboard. The colors looked the same to her, and she wanted to find out if he could tell that there was a gap. The next day, she watched intensely as he reached the end of his current book, then went back to the beginning. The following weekend... He finished his run-through of all the books he had completed thus far, and then went on to the next book that was not actually the next book. She waited, holding her breath, as he turned to the first page. No reaction. Business as usual. She relaxed. The books were a diversion. Nothing more. The next day, she took Matt to the park. She knew his antics on the playground. He would avoid the swing sets, the slides, basically everything that made it a playground. Instead, he would get down on his knees and smooth out the sand in front of him. Then, with the pinky finger of his left hand, he would start tracing random lines that crisscrossed with each other. He would sometimes dribble saliva onto his finger from his mouth before tracing a line, so that some parts of the sand appeared darker than others. He would trace so many lines and would intersect them so many times that by the end it was difficult to tell them apart from each other, even with the differences in shading enabled by his saliva. Then he would jump up and down in excitement, pointing at the mess and looking at Marjorie eagerly, as if he had discovered something new. But this time, Matt was more aware of what was happening around him. A toddler was tossing a small orange ball around. He would throw it, then pick it up, only to throw it again, as if he were playing fetch with himself. Matt stared at the toddler, whose mother was nearby. At one point, the toddler appeared to lose his grip on the ball right before he intended to throw it, and it sailed behind him and rolled behind a slide. The toddler, befuddled, looked everywhere around him and then started to wail. The toddler's mother went to the slide and kicked the ball so it was visible again. The toddler, upon seeing the ball, scampered toward it and cradled it in his arms, as if it were a small, stuffed animal. Matt pointed at the toddler's mother, looked back at Marjorie, and said, She didn't hit it. Marjorie gaped at him from the park bench. These were the first words she had ever heard him speak. You hit it. She it didn't hit it, Matt said. His other hand was up at his neck, three fingers pressed lightly against his throat. You are bad. I want her to be mommy. You are very bad, mommy. Marjorie scrambled over to Matt, scooped him up, and started carrying him away, back to the car. He continued speaking into her ear in a disturbingly even tone of voice. Bad mommy. Bad, 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 bad. That night, he refused to fall asleep next to her in the bedroom. Instead, he got up and wandered around, lifting the couch cushions, rummaging in the closet, trying to find it, what she had hidden. The next day, Marjorie called Tanya, Matt's former signing instructor. He spoke? Tanya asked. Yes, he did, Marjorie said. At the playground, for the first time ever. What did he say? Tanya asked. Yikes. Um, Marjorie said. Mommy, and some other stuff that was hard to make out. Ah, Tanya said. That's so cute. Marjorie remembered why she called. So, how is that possible? How can a deaf child even understand spoken English, let alone speak it? There was a pause. He must be reading lips. Many deaf children resort to that when they don't have a lot of access to people who can sign. It's a survival mechanism. Interesting, Marjorie said. Does that mean he could actually function in a non deaf school? I wouldn't recommend it, Tanya said. The outcomes are not good. Deaf children who go to schools where instruction is only oral will read at only a fourth grade level. When they turn 18. On the other hand, deaf children who go to schools where they are taught in sign and then learn English as a second language will usually read at grade level when they turn 18. Her recitation had the labored tone of someone who had repeated those statistics many times to parents over the years. Parents who always wanted to hear something different. Your son would do far better in a deaf school, Tanya continued, which is why you'll want to fill out that application to enroll him in the school in High Falls, the one with a dedicated deaf track. The deadline is coming up soon. Okay, Marjorie said. I'll keep that in mind. Just to let you know, I'm planning to get a cochlear implant for Matt. Some circumstances came up that delayed me, but... I'll have a consult with the audiologist soon. Oh, okay. Well, for cochlear implants, the same principle applies. The sooner, the better. Yeah, I know, I know, Marjorie said. Somewhat annoyed. The next call Marjorie made was to the audiologist's office. She spoke to the secretary and locked down an appointment. There. It was done. Later that day, when Marjorie picked up Matt from City Day Nursery and came home, the missing volume was on the floor. Marjorie, who had put it there, watched as Matt eyed it suspiciously. He moved toward it slowly, as if any sudden movement on his part might make it disappear again. He opened it to the first page. After a moment... A broad grin spread across his face. At bedtime, Matt refused to sleep in the bedroom again. Instead, he lay down on the floor of the living room, both arms wrapped around the book. She pleaded with him in sign, but he refused to budge. When she tried to pick him up and carry him to the bedroom, book included, he yowled and bit her arm, hard enough to leave an imprint. The medication was making her sleepy, and she retired for the night. Perhaps an hour later, she sensed a warm body on the mattress next to her. Turning on her phone light, she saw that it was Matt, with his arms still wrapped tightly around the book. Light off, he signed with his hands, then folded them back over the book. You want to sleep here? Marjorie signed. What made you change your mind? Because monsters, he signed back. Marjorie smiled. At the end of the day, he was still just a four-year-old. Marjorie turned off her phone light and he snuggled up against her. She stroked his hair and marveled at how the little runt could give her so much pain and so much happiness at the same time. Then disaster. Marjorie arrived at a pharmacy that Saturday with one of her prescriptions. The pharmacist entered the information into the system, then shook his head. I'm sorry, the pharmacist said. According to this, you've already had a prescription filled for this medication, which was written by a different doctor. Marjorie gulped. I don't understand. Everything went through last time. There's a new state law that just went into effect this week, the pharmacist said. We had to implement a database that tracks prescriptions for opioid medications in order to prevent abuse and fraud. They passed the law after an investigation found that at least six counties in this state had more opioid prescriptions filled than people who actually lived in those counties. One of those counties was this one, in fact. Marjorie felt a tinge of panic. She needed to get out of there. Um, okay, I'll go back to the doctor and check. Thanks. As she hurried out, the pharmacist called after her. Hey, miss, if you think you need some help, there are some resources we can refer you to. Thanks, Marjorie cut in, but I'm fine. It's just a mix-up. Nothing more. The same thing happened at the next pharmacy. And the next. They were now all connected to that goddamned database. On Sunday, she drove more than 60 miles until she crossed the border into the neighboring state, and then found a pharmacy. She waited with bated breath as the pharmacist put in the information. After studying the screen, he headed around to the back, whispered to someone else. She watched the adrenaline coursing through her, ready to bolt at any moment. The pharmacist came back to her. Okay, the copay is... he said, ringing it up. It worked! She clutched the small bag happily, then headed to another pharmacy with the next prescription. Only to be crushed. The pharmacist peered at his computer screen. So it says here that you've already had a prescription filled for this, which was written by a different doctor? Oh, actually, Marjorie said, I actually just recently switched doctors. Let me go check with them and sort it out. Thanks. She hurried out. As she drove back to her hometown, Rakel, Marjorie started to cry, took a pill, and the tears stopped she could stress out later. Right now, she wanted to smile and daydream on this lovely ride through the interstate, with the enormous trees whizzing by. Back in Regal, she dropped by Level Up before heading home. Walked inside, her eyes darting feverishly across each person there. What'll I get you? the bartender asked. The usual? I'm actually looking for someone, An older gentleman? His name is Leroy. Do you know when he usually swings by here? Marjorie said. The bartender blinked. Leroy? The drug dealer? Weeknights usually. He studied her appearance. Frowned. Lady, you don't seem like the kind of person who'd want to be one of his customers. You should get yourself some help while you still have a chance. Go screw yourself, she said, and marched out. The bartender's laugh of surprise echoed behind her. Later that week, Marjorie sat in her trailer, brooding over her dwindling supply. She was terrified of what would happen when she ran out. She would not be well, and she wanted to stay well. The physical cravings would gnaw at her, the excruciating pain that would last for days, which only the pills could alleviate. Marjorie's phone buzzed. Hello, Miss Kane. Looks like you missed your appointment with the audiologist regarding your son's cochlear implant. Would you like to reschedule? No, Marjorie interjected. Not at this time. Too much stuff going on. I'll get back to you. Goodbye. After an hour or so, the doorbell rang. She sighed, then got up and answered it. Marjorie Kane, the delivery man asked. She signed, then watched him lug in a large box. The dimensions were all too familiar. She already knew who it was from and what she would find inside. Sure enough, a row of books. That old woman and her strange ways. That old woman. Marjorie suddenly felt unease and not because of Sybil. She worried about getting fired. In the next episode, Marjorie becomes increasingly aware of the fact that her dependence on opioids could jeopardize her job. Join us next time on the American Opioid Podcast.